so AI or AI, you know, uh, yeah, I, I said it just a little precise there. To, so people know what I'm talking about. But AI or artificial intelligence. AI. You know, yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's all the rage now. So, I mean. Ugh, I hate half. I hate it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm going to try. I'm going to try very hard for the next hour to not make this about how much I hate the concept of AI. I'm going to try very hard. <laughs> yeah. I'm coming at this from, I mean, I, I think from a perspective that maybe maybe some of our listeners share, maybe maybe you share, um, just like from a writer perspective, from like a person who kind of dabbles in content creation, like it just, it irks me that, um, that this is getting so uh, popular and so like, Endlessly, endlessly discoursed, I guess, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, it's, I'm trying to pinpoint exactly when, trying to pinpoint exactly when it became so dominant in the discourse. And I suppose it was a little less than a year ago when they launched the ChatGPT 3. Yeah. So that seemed to be, a watershed moment for for the interest in AI as we currently call it but of course I mean this is this is a very old uh term it it goes back at least as far as I can tell it goes back at least to the 1950s and I've always thought it's a little bit of a misnomer and what I've always thought is it would much it would make a huge difference to how we perceive it what we expect from it and how we talk about it if we had just called it applied statistics. And I mean, just think about how, how dull that sounds that compared to artificial. And so, so because <laughs> when, we, when I worked at the content mill, I remember I used to have to write about this every now and then. I mean, although mercifully, I'm sure it's, it was at a much lower frequency than I would have to if I were still working there. Because now it would just be every single story would have would have to have some kind of AI angle. Oh right, like when but, we were there, it was like all about cloud computing and blah blah. blah. Yeah, cloud computing, big data, big you know, things data. like that. Yeah, but with I, I remember writing about AI, and sometimes I tried to define it, and it was actually really hard mm-hmm. to try and to try and actually give a succinct definition of what AI was. And I think the reason it was so hard was because I was trying to, I was basically accepting the term at face value and saying, well, AI is when a computer does something the way a human does and, or something like that. And really, I think it would have been a lot clearer for everyone involved if I just said, basically, AI is the use of statistical modeling to determine probabilities of, for example, like with a, with what we now call AI, most of the time when people say that now, what they're talking about are you know, LLMs or large language models. So those are those are programs that have ingested a lot of texts, and what they're doing is that they're creating models. They look at like the the language and the text that they've been quote unquote trained on, and they try to see. Basically, they're finding patterns. So they're saying, well. This sentence 
the trees are tall. And so when they, when you ask them to say something like, write me a short story about the trees in, in the yard, what it's going to do is it's going to dig into its data and try and you know, say, well, from what I, from what, you know, I, I, from what's in this training data, I, you know, and I'm, this is another word I'm going to put in the quotes, no, yeah, right. that, uh, you know, trees uh, is a plural noun. So it's probably, it's going to be followed by R and that R is going to be followed probably by something that is commonly associated with the word tree. So tall or green or leafy or something like that. So that's basically all it's doing. And it's just, it's running, it's, it's running the numbers so it's 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 playing a game of probability, but you know we've assigned it this um, this term artificial intelligence, which makes it seem like it's it's sentient, so that it that yeah like it has that somehow it's um, and and I'll get into this in a, in a little bit that, that that it's kind of an agent in a way that uh, you know it's because there's there's really this tension in AI as I see it that between is AI an agent or or is it a tool? So is it something that you're using to accomplish a task or is it somehow like in control of the task and you're just sort of, you know, along for the ride? And, um, and the other thing with, and so that, I mean, that, that idea of, of is AI a tool or AI an agent? Well, sometimes I, when I think about how, you know, things that might've been called AI in the past, we would no longer call them that. And there is some, uh, I think someone, people have remarked on this before that basically AI is whatever has not been sort of accomplished yet. So in a way it's kind of an aspirational term. So I think one example would be in like maybe 30 or 40 years ago, optical character recognition. So like when you take a, a document, like a, like a, a book or something and you scan it and then the computer can extract the words from the image of that scan so at one time that probably would have been considered AI because that seemed really intelligent and it was kind of hard to do and not every program could do it. And now it's it's pretty trivial. And so if you told somebody today that OCR, you know, optical character recognition was AI, they would they would think that was kind of silly. They would say, Well, that's not intelligent at all. That's just, you know, a computer is, you know, using blah 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 to to and I, I think, you know, I can sort of see their point, you know, that it's doesn't seem like there's really anything intelligent about it because the computer is just doing, you know, as all as computers always do, they're just following literally the instructions that are being given. But um, you know, I think, you know, in a way, LLMs are, are doing the same thing. They're just you're giving them an input and they're returning, you know, they're following that, you know, just to, they're basically following a script. You know, they're saying, Well, you gave me these terms. Here is I, I ran all the probabilities on this and here's here's sort of the here's sort of the, you know, the map of, of, of everything I have. And it, it, um, it's it's sort of like, like, it's, it's a lot like, I mean, it's, it's really just another version of, you know, when you're trying to, you say you're trying to drive somewhere and, you know, you're like, well, how do I get from point A to point B? And what the, the mapping software is going to do something sort of similar. It's going to say, well, here's all the roads I know about. And, you know, I ran all the probabilities, you know, that there'd be traffic on this one or not. And, and here's the best route. I mean, so that's, it's pretty mundane. And I think the reason, but I think the reason people are fascinated with, with LLMs in particular is that they, they sort of sound, uh, they sort of, they sound fluent. So now 
it used to be that, you know, computers, I mean, they couldn't, I mean, it, it was hard maybe to get a human sounding text from a computer, but now in a way the computer text is, is probably more, is more likely to be grammatically correct than a human text is because your humans don't always strictly follow the rules of, of grammar and syntax. But in a way, um, I think, the, you know, this is a sort of a sidebar here, but I think this in a way reveals kind of how silly, you know, strict adherence to grammar is anyway, because it, it's, it's, it's always changing. So, I mean, when, when, you know, people say something like, you know, there's many reasons for this, like for, so there you've contracted there and is, and you have is, but then you have, um, a plural after that. So it, you would think it would be, there are many reasons, but there's many reasons actually it sounds perfectly fine. And, uh, and actually that, that usage goes back, I mean, quite a ways. I mean, there's actually some Shakespearean usage of, of that exact construction where, you know, the, the, there with the contracted is, and then, you know, a plural noun. This is but yeah, go the biggest ahead. pet peeve is when people try to, uh, prescriptivize language, right? Like in, instead of like, uh, Instead of just letting people exist, <laughs> right? But this is how language evolves. This is how it continues. And I think trying to be like a like a grammar police, you know, that is that to me is an indication that someone is trying to look like intelligent instead of actually like being intelligent. Um, I that yeah, it's it's one of my biggest pet peeves, honestly is because it, it just language is meant to convey meaning and if you have the meaning at the end of the sentence the end <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's just, yeah yeah that's the, i mean i'm boiling like a lot of linguistic um research down into a very simplistic sentence but that's basically it yeah it, you're right L- language is meant to convey meaning and it's not a um you know it's not to me it's never it it shouldn't be a strictly formal exercise where it's just like well let me make sure I've got all the I've got all the constructions right and I've got you know I've got all the um, the syntax is correct and and all of my verbs and nouns are in agreement I don't have any run-ons and so on so that's um, but I think you know there's something I I think you know uh, in a way and this is a good segue I, I feel like you know, the idea that LLMs are are sort of the future of writing or that they can take the place of a human writer, it is the natural endpoint of the sort of grammar, uh, the grammar police mindset, because what you're doing is you're sort of taking, you're taking agency away from, from the writer and you're taking sort of spontaneity away from, from the writer and you're, and you're instead saying, well, I can just have a machine take a, a, a certain set of inputs and give, you know, a predictable set of outputs. Okay. And there was, I mean, there was, uh, there was this article. Uh, so there's this, this sub stack I, I read called, um, it's by Rob Horning. Uh, I don't really know much about him as a person and I don't, he doesn't really give him very much information about, you know, what he, what, you know, his background is or anything, but, he has this Substack where he writes a lot on on AI in particular, and it, it's it's pretty fair. Like it's it, it's skeptical, but it's not completely dismissive. And he he weighs a lot of different viewpoints, and he he has a lot of great sources. And um, what he he had something in there. Uh, so he had this whole piece 
called Pro Tools, which I'll I'll link to in the show notes. The title is uh, is lower is in sentence case, but it's sort of a play on Pro Tools Capital Camel Case Pro Tools, which is a music tool that makes it very easy to uh, you know, get sort of you know uh, let me see professional quality sound like an audio recording. It's very it's very common for music recording in particular, and uh, this is. So then he, th- this post is going through sort of like, well, are, are, you know, AI chatbots and, and tools, you know, similar ones like, you know, like image generators, you know, procedural image generators are, are sort of the same thing where you give them a description or something and then they create an image, you know, out of, out of what you've told them. And in this piece, he, he's, he looks at how, um, you know, well, is an out is are the algorithms underneath are, are they are they sort of the actor or are they you know so in that case are they're the ones sort of doing the work or are they just some sort of thing that is that you're using sort of like a like a paintbrush or a chisel or something you know where you know, you're in control but then you know this thing is sort of helping you by making something easy. So, I mean, in those examples, I mean, it would be it would be really weird to say you know, that only a true true artist don't use don't use chisels because you know that they they use their bare hands instead because a chisel is is makes it too easy or something. Yeah. yeah, but then you know real writers don't use LLMs. They you know they they try and come up with everything from scratch. So, and you know this piece is is pretty. I mean it's nuanced because he doesn't he doesn't seem to really endorse you know either side. But uh, one thing he says you know like you know for example, um, you know so I'm quoting here. He says like you know chatterbot. He's talking about a um, you know. He call he's quoting someone else here, what they're calling um uh you know chatterbot, which is just another term for a chatbot, and it's from an essay called Love from Cyberspace, and this essay is actually quite old. It goes all the way back to to um to two thousand two and it's talking about using using chatbots or something like them. And and the term chatterbot I think is, you know, a sign that this is this is somewhat older because I mean the term chat and bot hadn't really become, you know, in vogue. Uh, but it, it, using these sort of language machines are like a live performance. Um, and so like the, so he's quoting from this essay and he says, the, the chatterbot forces the discussion of liveness to be reframed as a discussion of the ontology of the performer rather than that of the performance, he claimed. Rather than wonder whether something was pre-recorded, we will wonder whether it was algorithmically generated rather than organically performed. So, and then he goes on to say, uh, you know, there's some sort of uh, ontological uh, ambiguity here. So like, I mean, and what he means by that is, you know, you're sitting here listening to something and you're kind of wondering, you know, was this just formulated by computer or did someone actually just come up with this on the spot? And um, so then he goes back to the essay and he says that, uh, you know, the ontological distinction matters only insofar as it gives responsible parties plausible deniability. I built it, but I didn't tell it to do that specifically. Oslander, that's that's the writer of the essay he's quoting, asserts that, quote, chatterbots are not playback devices, but are themselves performing entities that construct their performances at the same time as we witness them, unquote. This is ultimately as ambiguous as Dorson, that's another person he talked about earlier in the essay, Dorson's remark that algorithms act in evoking the appearance of acting. Chatterbots are put in a position to appear as agents, 
They do not put themselves there. They serve as a simulation or representation of what agency looks like, which is different from the thing itself, an agent acting with willful intention. Chatbots are better understood as procedural playback devices or as stochastic parrots, to use the current phrase, than as performers or actors. So it's uh, so th- this is something that often comes up when people, you know, in skepticism of, of AI is that, well, there's no uh, there's no intent there when you're when you're talking when you're, you're quote unquote talking to chat gpt it's just you know it's just running numbers it's like it's like uh putting a formula into excel and then having excel return a result huh. so but it but it seems so convincing because because it's using your know, words that you might use or you might read somewhere and so this this idea of of stochastic parrots um you know that that term is it's something that comes from that New Yorker article about um, Judith Butler. That was Emily Bender. Emily Bender and Judith Butler. So yeah, I mean that was that was a pretty uh, a pretty big deal when it came out. And of course, I mean Judith Butler is a is a famous uh, you know theorist, and and then Emily Bender is a uh, is a linguistics prof- professor. So um, it's it's. Um, but what she says, like what Judith Butler says in that article, is that you know she says that there's sort of a uh, you know the idea that 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 AI can can take the place of a, of a person is uh, she says it's uh, it's narcissistic, and what she says that you know it's um, you know that uh, the idea that human potential she calls that a she calls it a fascist idea uh, is more fully actualized with AI than without it. The AI dream is quote governed by the perfectibility thesis, and that's where we see a fascist form of the hu- of the human. Mm-hmm. And she sort of says, you know, there's a there's a technological takeover, a fleeing from the body, um, and then you know, but then what she's saying is that there's, uh, you know, once you've got outside the body, uh, you know, you've sort of left behind you what's living in my speech, what's living in my emotion, in my love, in my language, all that gets eclipsed. So she's saying, you know. There's something essentially human about you know the fact that your thought and your speech comes from from your body, and of course the machine is never going to have a human body. It's it's just uh, it's running numbers, and um, but you know stochastic. Uh, I mean that term, you know, that stochastic parrot, which you know Rob Horning said that that was a synonym for basically what he would call a playback device. So it's sort of like, uh, you know, a playback device, something like you record, uh, like a, you know, to go back way back here, you record a tape and you put it in a, in a tape deck, you play it and that's, you know, it's playing back what you, what you've already, what you've already put onto it. And, and in a way that that's what chatbots or LLMs are doing. They're, they're playing back the text that their trainers put into them and they're just kind of mixing it up a little bit. And, uh, so whether you think that's intelligent or not, I think is, is, uh, is that, you know, it's got to vary about, but from person to person, but, yeah, you know, I was just thinking about how, like a lot of this, as I said, is like really semantic, right? A lot of it depends on what definitions we give to think. What is intelligent? What does that mean? What are we like facing the assumption that this is an artificially intelligent, like device like what what are what why right why are we ascribing intelligence to this thing and what do we mean by intelligence 
Yeah. So in that same Horning post that I was just reading from, he he digs up a quote from Karl Marx, which is really relevant to what you just said, where Marx says, quote, all our invention and progress seem to result in endowing material forces with intellectual life and in stultifying human life into a material force. Now that's so, interesting. Yeah. yeah. So and this kind of, that, that reminds me of something I was going to say about the Butler quote is that she, you know, she's saying that the uh, idea that the art of, well, like artificial intelligence is a narcissistic concept. Narcissistic for who? Like, is it be, like humans thinking that we created something so cool and good and we created intelligence? Or like, I mean, like, I guess, uh, yeah, the where is the narcissism yeah, I mean that that is a good question because uh it's you would think that the narcissism would be that humans were irreplaceable but then she seems to be saying that the narcissism is something that comes from the fact that we think that we've made this incredible machine that is I mean I I guess what I'm thinking about here is that she's sort of saying the machine is like it's like it's almost like a mirror so like, and this literally goes back to the original meaning of the word narcissist. So, you know, narcissist was so, yeah, so fascinated with his own reflection that he ended up drowning. And so I think there's something, so I think she actually is really going literal on the word narcissism here. And I think what she's saying is that we're so fascinated with the, the output of this machine acting as if it's something intelligent but really what it is is it's just you know we've put a bunch of our own ideas and and writing into it and it's playing them back to us and so it's like uh sort of in the way that you know we put our face in front of a mirror and the mirror quote unquote plays back our image so um i think there's some that that's my interpretation of what she's saying there and um and then you know the idea that you know you're you there's something that's being unlocked in the in the human potential by AI that you couldn't be unlocked otherwise. And so she seems to really, to really think that is not the case. And I mean, to, to go back to what we were saying about, uh, grammar earlier. So you're talking about how like, you know, grammar, uh, you know, the grammar police are very prescriptive. Like you have to, you have to always make your subject and nouns agree. You can't use, you know, never say, uh, beg the question because it actually means something else, which I always hate that one because I mean, 99.9% 99.9% of people have no idea that beg the question is the name of a technical <laughs> philosophical fallacy, which no one it just, you know, but anyway. And so in that Horning essay, he also talks about how, um, you know, he, he, this is a quote, algorithmic actors are plausible to the, the, are plausible to the degree to which human action has already been codified into data and made predictable. The distribution of algorithmic agents throughout society will extend that codification allowing data to foreclose more and more of the space of human indeterminacy, replacing freedom with the procedural simulation of it. So, I mean, to tie that back to what Butler said, so there is something uh, almost fascistic about that. It's sort of like, well, instead of having the freedom to use language the way you want, instead, you know, you're getting this machine that's just basically always coloring inside the lines. And so, uh, yeah. And so uh, he quotes someone else who says, you know, that, you know, this person uh, teaches a, um, um, this is uh, Dorson, one of the writers he was quoting and uh, earlier in the essay, and he, the, this person says, 
I teach a class on chance operations and performance, and usually about two-thirds of the way through the class, the students start to get that fundamentally chance is about other people. What others do is what creates true indeterminacy. So instead of having that indeterminacy from interactions with other people, instead you're sort of removing all all risk by using a chatbot or some other form of AI. And so then uh, so then you really do get sort of into a narcissistic situation where it's all about you. It, well, it's not about you in particular, but it's about this this single thing that you're sort of engaging with that is just playing back, you know, inputs from you instead of having you play off the inputs of someone else. So, uh, so there is, I think there is some narcissism there for sure. That's, that's really interesting. So, and that made me think of something else. I had a conversation with someone this week about AI and I, we couldn't be recording this episode on a better week, by the way, because literally everyone in my life has been talking to me about AI this even before I told them that we were doing it. <laughs> yeah. So I had a conversation earlier this week about generative AI and how um, I work in academia. And so it, there's been kind of some hubbub about it in academia as far as like academic integrity goes and like what is the line and like where, like how do we, you know, how do we figure out where that line is between um, being a- a- academically, you know, having academic integrity and like using these tools in a way that you know could promote learning right like i'm we're we're trying to trying to figure it out and this person was telling me they they said you know i i could see a use for ai for um integrating it into like your text message conversation of of like if you want to you're talking to your boss and you want to sound, you know, uh, intellectual and also like curious and, you know, professional, right? And you and you give it those parameters and then you have a text message with your boss that you didn't write, that, that AI is helping you curate, right? And there's, I, and you could also say like, here's your online date, right? That here's the parameters you, you want to sound, uh, whatever aloof and uh interesting and etc and i kind of thought like well where is the human connection in this like where where are we are we taking the human connection out of these of these uh interactions and and he was really just like hmm interesting i mean i guess (laughs) and i know and i i mean like you your story about you know the uh it, it just kind of reminded me of that of of really we're it's it's narcissist right we're not talking to a person we're talking to ourselves yeah and we're we're really we're foreclosing a lot of our possibilities because instead of risking you know, writing something in our own voice we're sort of you know having some you know mirror version of ourselves you know as determined by this tool instead try to give it to them and then so then you the whole thing plays out very differently than it might have otherwise because then you know someone who you can barely write an email you know write some text to someone else who which that's hyper literate and has all kinds of flowing sentences and everything so then you know how does that come off yeah i mean if i were the person receiving it i would i would think that was very fake but then i can see in the future that like people will 
will just expect that. They'll expect that, like, you know, there's some kind of, you know, over, it's sort of like how every book, you know, like uh, back in like the King James or era, you know, has some over the top dedication in, in the front of it that was like, you know, to his most holy, you know, majesty, the, the, the third Earl of such and such, you know, <laughs> you know? It's just and you know, something you expect it, to read. It, it just becomes like almost like a formal exercise. You, you can just skip over it. And, um, but you know, there is, I, I guess the other thing too, is like, if you take, if you take the human out, I mean, what, I guess, what is at stake? And, you know, there's a famous quote from like a, this is kind of, this is really ironic because it came from IBM who I'm sure now is just all in on all kinds of, you know, second tier AI garbage. But they uh, said, yeah, there's a pr- presentation said, uh, quote, a computer can never be held accountable. Therefore, a computer must never make a management decision. So, yeah, yeah. yeah, so that's a famous quote. And and it's true because, I mean, you, a computer does something wrong. What do you do about it? And because the computer itself is, you know, it's not alive, you know, the, and that's that's the thing, you know, as people keep saying, well, this this thing is so intelligent, it's so sentient and well. Let's say it, let's say it makes a mistake. What do you do? You can't, you know, give it like a you can't, you know, browbeat it with a with a lecture. Can't fire it. And you can't fire it. And this this reminds me of like how uh, you know, this and this is not meant to be like uh a, a, you know, a blanket criticism of the of the software engineering field, but the software engineering field has uh standards for failure that are incredibly loose compared to like any other form of engineering. So, like, if mechanical engineers or or electrical engineers or you know if they were if they were allowed to fail as often as software engineers do, like I mean, we're talking like catastrophic, like yeah, like the log for J uh, cybersecurity vulnerability from a few years ago. I mean, no one would put up with that, and it's just like uh, I remember seeing some thread on Twitter. I, I might have actually mentioned this many podcasts ago, but s- some programmer was saying basically. Uh, just don't even worry about the quality of your work because even if it, even if you mess up with it, it kind of doesn't matter because you know someone will push out an update and it'll get fixed you know, eventually. And then you always see like you know you know some some vulnerability that had been in some system for like twenty years or something you know is discovered and then it gets closed and you're like you know imagine you know but then it's like that that sort of low level of accountability has I think it seeped into the, the, the I mean, it, it makes sense that, that, you know, people who the biggest proponents of AI are often from these fields in which the accountability for mistakes is so low. And cause like, you know, I mean, this is like Silicon Valley just, you know, glorifies failure, even though I think a lot of, I think a lot of that is sort of, uh, you're disingenuous because you know, a lot of them, you know, failure I mean, they would want to fail themselves probably, I mean, they would they would much rather succeed, but they they glorify this this idea that you you can keep failing and and that that's actually good that you fail, and you know then there, it's a small hop from there to the, the idea that well we can just have machines making these decisions because they can make them fast and they're you know they're very cost effective, and then even if they fail you know uh, so what you know sort of I mean and, it's literally a tenet of coding right like fail fast fail forward yeah this is this is another one of my. Um, this is a huge uh, a hobby horse of mine, but there's there's a there's a famous uh, actually it, it might actually be Samuel Beckett's uh, most famous quote from all of his works, which is kind of hilarious. Uh, but it's uh, I need to look it up exactly because it's it's a little um, it's a little naughty the way he wrote it. Um, but it's uh, 
it's from a play called I think Worst Word Ho, um, which he. I've heard of that one. Yeah, it, it's uh, but any, anyway, it's um, it's uh, something like uh, you know, try again, fa- uh, fail again, uh, better again, or actually, it's uh, it, yeah, no, the the way everybody always presents it is ever tried, ever failed, no matter, try again, fail again, fail better. And, uh, but then if you read this in the original context, it's, it's kind of, um, it's kind of hilarious because it doesn't really, it, um, it doesn't mean at all what, what people have sort of assigned to it. Like, so they, 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 they've, they've, it's become sort of this grind set quote where it's like, well, uh, it doesn't matter if, if, you know, if I fail or if this AI is not, is not, you know, up to stuff today because, you know, it can just keep failing and, and by failing it will get better. So the, the actual, it, it's actually kind of, but I just rolled my eyes so hard, <laughs> but it, it's actually worth reading this passage in full just to see how absurd it is in, in the original context. So it says first, the body, no, first, the place, no, first, both now, either now the other sick of the either try the other sick of it back, sick of the either, so on, somehow on, till sick of both, throw up and go, where neither, till sick of there, throw up and back, the body again, where none, the place again, where none, try again, fail again, better again, or better worse, fail worse again, still worse again, till sick for good, throw up for good, go for good, where neither for good, good and all. <laughs> that That's what comes right after that quote. This is why I've so, never heard of this. <laughs> yeah, so that's, and the funny thing is that, like, um, so I mean, actually, the, the, this this quote is actually a pretty good, a pretty good exercise. In, in I feel like a machine would never come up with this um, because, which is, uh, it just sounds. Uh, I mean, especially something like "sick of the either, try the other." <laughs> um, right. I think that's the one that really sticks out to me because the the idea that you could have some proper noun called the either or. Um, which, uh, the either yeah, is the opposite either. of not either. Yeah, either. Yeah, either. So that that's exactly that's what comes after, um, you know, the ever tried, ever failed quote. So, but, uh, but great. I mean, that's like a that's a lesson in taking things out of context. Out of context, yeah. So, but I mean, it's sort of like I don't know. It, it's so you know, as we said, then no one can be held accountable, you know, for an AI you know making the wrong decision. And you've already sort of seen this where some lawyers have tried to use AI in court. And the judges are very um, unhappy with them because, first of all, they can tell right away that it's it's somehow unnatural. And then the other thing too is, of course, you know, the legal proceeding. Well, who's accountable if you know this AI is is giving bad advice? And um, it's well, it's it's just something no one seems to really. I think a lot of the AI proponents that they they just they don't care about this, and um, hmm. so it, it's. It's... It's, there's a nuance here, right? Because like, I, I think, well, I mean, from my perspective, we're again in academia, like we're, there is a fine line between using, you know, uh, using a, a, one of these tools to write an entire essay, right? That's a no, no. And there, you know, the, we actually just uh, published some guidance from our security office, like about how to use AI in tech in, in the classroom. And we're, you know, saying that it, it's not a substitute for critical thinking. And like, we're, we're putting all these words around it. 
but I think there is also a an, a real interest in uh, in higher ed at least to find like ways that it can be used and ways yeah you know like like I, I told you um... I'm going to a conference uh, next month um, and like all of the keynotes are about AI like <laughs> all of them yeah it's 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 the old uh when you have a hammer everything looks like a nail yeah. uh, situation yeah. so it's um which to me of course i mean i i've i'm I am sort of a skeptic of this and uh there's some other you know data or trends like i can i can talk about in just a second on that but the fact that people are still sort of looking for the killer use case for this makes me sort of think it might not be as big of a game changer as it's been touted as because we're still sort of like, well, you could use it to, you could use it to write your legal brief or you could use it to write your, your essay, but no, you can't do that because then everybody would know that it was fake or you can't do that because then you might get in trouble. Um, and then, so it's sort of like, well, we could use it to, to, uh, generate, I mean, and, and it's like, I, I actually use one of these, we have a tool that I won't name, but we use it at work and, it used to be sort of a tool that we used uh, sort of in a similar way to Grammarly. So it was basically just automated enforcement of certain rules, but then also it was very customizable. So you could say, you could add terms to it and say, just don't use this particular term and here's why. Mm -hmm. uh, so it was kind of good in that way, but now it's totally pivoted to being like a like a generative AI engine. And it's, it's uh, and honestly, uh, so now, so this has been, this is greatly inconvenienced to me because now I'm the main I'm the main point of contact for for the uh, the people who sold us this software, so we have like a, a standing meeting, you know, every month, and I have to keep thinking of ways that we can somehow use this, even though it's proven in practice to be very impractical to use. That sounds because... like a nightmare. I would just like to tell you, I'm very sorry that you have to do that. <laughs> but it's like, uh, I mean, first of all, it, I mean, so you have to if you use, if you use it to generate content, you have to use the either the web interface, which is terrible, or you have to use like a, a dedicated um, desktop app, which which is Mac only. So um, so that's that's another uh, catch. But but then these people are composing text that has in other systems, uh, you know, like you know, like uh, Com Confluence is one of them. So they're very used to composing in there. So then trying to use this generative tool as an extra step, and then you also get into to issues with like copying and pasting and this creates extra formatting that then you know in the web output makes it look kind of weird with our style sheet and then i mean it's just like there's a whole cascade of issues that this this creates and so it's sort of like well um you know before it was working basically fine you know the way they were doing it and now we're sort of trying to to use the dreaded term punch it up <laughs> by using uh by using these uh, AI engines and uh but it's been really tough to to try and find a really a, a use case for it that's that's both easy and substantially better than what we already do and because a lot of what we have is very technical in nature uh the the engine doesn't I mean so like we're talking very specific terms that refer to specific products so the engine doesn't have any reference points for those so it, it doesn't have any statistical modeling that would tell it that you know your Acme product XYZ is often followed by the term, you know, ABC 
or something. You know, we're talking about like you know, proprietary terms here, and uh, so it's it's been tough to find to to see if to try and make it where it's useful. Um, and I feel like, you know, in a lot of things that were really breakthroughs, like, like the first iPhone was, was one that, you know, was sort of like when that was, when that debuted in, in, in 2007, it was so obvious, even from the first moment that, you know, this was like, like, I think the pinch to zoom on Google maps was like blew away everybody in the room. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that was just something that, you know, it was so intuitive that you could see what well, obviously this has a lot of value. But then with this, I, I think there might have been something analogous to that at first. It's sort of like, well, I can tell chat GBT, hey, write me a, a short story in the style of like Ernest Hemingway or or Anton Chekhov and you know have it give something that sort of like, you know, half plausibly like their style. But then, you know, the uh the like trend novelty at like it seems like yeah. oh, this is this cool thing that this thing online can do, right? And then it's so it's sort of it just seems yeah, like, and yeah, it's oh sorry, I, um, I didn't mean to to talk over, but I mean I think you are. I mean you're you're definitely right about the novelty angle because I, I actually I was going to say that I I I think I saw something on Mastodon or it might have been on Twitter, but how the average person used ChatGPT something like six times and that was it. Yeah. Um. So it was like they sort of played with it and then that was it. Uh. And you know, lots of things are like that. I mean, you know, you, you people get like a like a gaming console, and they only get like two games for it, and then that's it. They they sort of move on. Um, or it's it, it it is a novelty. And uh, I think I, I mean, of course, I mean, it's hard to, as always to predict. But the traffic to ChatGPT actually dropped in June from from May, and of course, some of that might have been the academic school year ending. But from this year, it does. Yeah, so like it, it, but it does seem like if it's some sort, if it's this truly your hyper revolutionary product, that you probably would not see that even with the seasonality of the academic year, because I mean, if you look at like the usage of say Google from like 1998 until I don't know 2004, so the first six years and 2004 Google went public, I mean it's basically just like a straight line going up. I mean it's like it's like I mean there's it's everybody was like, well this is way better than Ashgis or Lycos or a dog pile or all the all the pre you know google search engines so that makes me kind of kind of think that there might be uh there might be less than meets the eye here but um i think there there's something in this about so like the the novelty of it right so i i i don't remember when you said it was but it was like it was around the turn of the year last year Right. I mean, was it the beginning of the? Was it actually just the beginning of this year? Or was it the beginning of last year? I've like, I've become unstuck in time. Anyway, when when it, that kind of jumped into the public eye, a lot of people were using it and saying like, "Oh, look at this cool thing that it that it did." Like, I got it to as you said, write me a story in the style of Anton Chekhov, and it's like so cool. And like, look at this cool thing that it did. And then, they, and then it's they do that six times, and then they are done. And I, I, some part of me, you know, and th- so there's that, right? And then there's there's this this opposite side of it, where people are saying like, this is an intelligent mechanism. This is it. It's going to replace actual human labor and work and X Y Z. 
And and somewhere in the middle is this like romantic idea that AI can become sentient. And I, I to me, I think part of it is because of like just things that are in things that are that are that are in society now, right? So like movies, right? We have a lot of narratives in in these movies that are like her, you know, the movie. Like yeah. I'm like, oh, it's this technological, so technologically advanced that this person was able to fall in love with with this AI. And I don't yeah. oh know, maybe the AI also loved them too. Like and I, I I just I feel like people have become so inundated with these kinds of ideas and these kinds of like romantic narratives that they like really want ChatGPT to be a thing. They really yeah. want it to work in in the way that they have seen it work, like in the Terminator movie. Okay. There's a this is like a really good segue into uh, something that this is another one of my uh, long standing uh, hobby horses, but. We're uh, bringing them all out today. We're bringing them all out, but there's a the, the the paradox of how so much of like like I think it's honestly worth wondering if fascination with AI would would be anywhere near where it, what it is now if a it was called applied statistics. So we talked about that already, and b if it weren't like a fixture of science fiction in particular. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, and and the, the paradox that I'm that I was. I think I might have said that, but anyway, there's a paradox though because it, every like AI booster is like, we need to recreate this thing from from this novel because that would be so fucking cool if we did that, you know. Like I saw this on the on a, on a movie or I read this book when I was like you know 17 and and you know we could make this real, but then at the same time they have utter contempt for the humanities. So, uh, but then it's like you can also see at the same time that really the human humanities is what's driving the entire fascination in the first place. Yes. So it's like, it, it's, um, oh, I mean, because this is great. Yes. Yeah. Oh yeah. So it, because it's like, uh, I was I watching model that sentence that you just said <laughs> and shove it in the face of every nerd who's ever been like, man, the humanities are, they all stuff. It's like, but also I use an eyes like God, <laughs> <laughs> but, oh yeah, the, the iPhone thing is, that's a whole nother, um, tangent I could go off on, but, it's like I was watching. So uh, this. So anyway, I, I was I was watching this old cartoon Johnny Quest, which is oh uh, and the reason God. I was watching it. Uh, well, yeah, you have Johnny Quest. Okay, great. Uh, so I was watching it because you know I, I was also watching. I'm also watching the Venture Brothers in tandem, and, it, and it's fascinating how how deeply the Venture Brothers riffs on Johnny Quest. Like I mean, even down to very mi- uh, minor references. Like I mean, there's just a ton of stuff that it might like. There's one oh, wow. episode where Doctor Venture calls somebody Ruddy R U D D Y, and there's there's an episode of Johnny Quest where someone uses that term like 20 times. The episode is very <laughs> jarring, and so like I was just howling when I heard that, and somebody thought I was probably like you know an idiot for for reacting that way. But anyway, uh, but anyway, Johnny Quest so it, it came out in 1964, and it has a lot. Of, I mean, it's not really like the the time frame in it is a little strange because it's like they're they're obviously like in the 20th century because there's all kinds of like you know old, there's like room sized computers and things like that you know like you know things that would far predate the PC era but they also have some pretty advanced devices so they have like a, a wrist communicator that has like a video screen on it and so this is like uh, I mean this is something really that doesn't even exist even now like we're talking about like an Apple Watch that has like you know HD video calling on it 
and you know has like uh, apparently infinite battery life. Oh yeah, <laughs> but uh, but, any, but then like you know, but then like that. I was just thinking about like how I say that that didn't exist that show, and then like other things like that didn't you know like Star Trek had the communicator like with you know someone could could use that like sort of like a cell phone, but you know these things were definitely. Um, like the the Johnny Quest watch or the you know the Star Trek communicator, those I mean those are very important ideas. Um, I mean they sound it sounds silly to say that because because you know like you know hey there's this kids show from sixty years ago and you know it had it made this incredibly important contribution to technology and you would think that was silly. It was like no uh, you know it was the inventor of the the microprocessor and blah 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 blah. Well, but then like what would you do with that? And then here's here's some you know some you know, story writer was like, Hey, what if you could, you use, have a computer on your wrist? Wouldn't that be cool? And then, uh, I just don't think we, I mean, the idea that we would have inevitably reached some technological endpoint without having those sort of cultural, creative. I, I mean, like the, 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 the cultural signpost to sort of get there. And it's sort of like, you know, well, why are we built, why are we building this in the first place? And, uh, and a lot of times it does seem like the answer is, well, because I, I read it in some books, you know, yeah. or I saw it on some show, and wouldn't it be cool if I made that in real life? And it it, it, it mean, seems kind of... Star Trek yeah. parallel has been beat to death, but like, but it's true, right? I mean, yeah. you know, we don't, we, the the voice, whatever, whatever they call them. Oh, yeah, like a uh, computer do this or computer do that. Yeah, that, yeah. And like the, all, the, um, the handheld... Uh, devices that they use to scan things, you know, like I mean, right? It's it's part of the culture. I mean, yes. it's like yeah. why is this cultural like? I think there's yeah, there's like a mistake I think people make in in seeing that in thinking that like every every domain of knowledge is somehow self contained, uh, and yeah. so like this is I, I'm actually reading this book called "There's No Such Thing as the Economy" by Samuel Chambers, and he's not really focusing as much on technology, but what he's saying in the book is that it, it's really kind of a category error to to keep being fixated on you know what he, he puts it in quotes the economy because he's he he thinks that like when people say that they're acting like it's sort of some objective domain that has nothing at all to do with politics or or social science or uh, philosophy or anything else and just that's just finance. so obvious it's just, it, it, it's just pure finance. And it's like that that's obviously not true. Yeah. I mean, all of the laws that regulate everything emerge from political context. The ideas of, of economics are have roots in like all kinds of different types of, you know, philosophy. And you you just can't you can't separate it. It it, it there's there all of these things are they're interwoven in a way that you can't extract one from the other. And I think that's what's going on with, with technology, what we just said with like the technology and culture. I think, you know, people would think, well, here's the technical domain here where people are you know programming things and and they act like that's that's sort of a deterministic thing where like everything is just inevitable it's going to keep getting better keep getting faster this device was always going to be made because it's an obvious improvement on the device the device that came before it and uh you know i don't know if that's really the case because uh, like we just looked at with you know with this sort of science fiction thing it's all it's all um it's intertwined i mean it's like the the you know the metaverse thing which is the AI thing sort of reminds me of that too, because I mean, the metaverse was so hyped, and now it's sort of like you know, hey, what's that thing? <laughs> uh, and then, but you know, the, the whole idea of that also came from like a like a novel called Snow Crash uh, by Neil Stevenson, and so a lot of you know, and Mark Zuckerberg has 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 admitted as much. So, um, 
And uh, yeah, I mean, there's also another, there's a famous, you know, uh, tweet about this where someone says, you know, every tech mogul is like, uh, you know, they read some book and it, and it says uh, the book is about the torment nexus, you know, how terrible it is. And, and there was their uh, response to that is to say, well, I'm, I'm proud to say we built the we torment built the nexus. Torment. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, uh, so, um, and, you know, I think a lot of times you hear these AI proponents, I'll be like, well, it's like they almost relish in the idea that they could somehow, they could somehow cause the end of humanity, which I don't think there's any chance of that with oh. AI. And there's a, there's a whole other uh, angle that I don't think we should explore in this episode because it, it would take too much time, but about like effective altruism and how that, that ties into the idea of like killer AI. And so, and, th- and yet this is also more evidence of how there is no such thing as a standalone technical domain. You know, that it's, it's totally intertwined with certain philosophical ideas too. <laughs> they come from the, you know, according to you know, the, the apparently to them useless humanities <laughs> But yeah. Anyway, it it's it's um. But it, I think what by saying that they they what they really want is they want um you know by by raising that thing they want a to make their product seem more important than it is and b they want in a way they kind of want regulation because then that would raise the bar for like new entrants because you know if if an industry is heavily regulated it's harder for a newcomer to sort of break into it because then they have to they have to comply with all these laws but. Then if you're already in it, you know, you've sort of already, you know, eaten that cost. So it's like, you know, if you wanted to start your own bank, you know, and, you know, that's really hard because, you know, you have to, you know, meet all these rules and regulations. And similarly, if you wanted to start your own AI company, I mean, right now it's you know, somewhat of a wild west. But, you know, if there were all kinds, if you had to have like certain licenses for it or something, I think that was something that was proposed by OpenAI, which uh, the company that makes ChatGPT, but. Yeah, I should just stop and say that open AI is such a funny term because I think it, it's one of those things that means almost the exact opposite of what it seems to mean because, right. I mean, it, it's not open source. It's right? not open and it, it's maybe it's like AI either. <laughs> so, but it's, it's sort of like uh, that famous quote, like the, the Holy Roman Empire was neither holy nor Roman. <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyway. I love that. And also I hate it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The only other thing that I that I really wanted to touch on uh, before we sort of wrapped up was um, I think well also like uh, well I, I mean kind of going back to the beginning like why why I call it artificial intelligence you know and I think there's a, a presumption there that it's somehow by calling it that we're saying well this machine sort of sort of acts the same way a human brain does. Mm-hmm. And there, there's a great article from a couple of years ago uh, called "The Empty Brain," which uh, I, I may have mentioned this on a, on a previous podcast. I can't remember, but it's it's about um, it's written by someone named Robert Epstein, and it's 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 about how the brain is. Uh, we think of the brain almost without even thinking about it ourselves. We think of it as a computer, and that that metaphor of the brain as computer is embedded in basically everything, all kinds of language that we use to describe, you know, knowledge and thinking. So, um, he, he lists a bunch of them that, you know, you wouldn't maybe think that were from the computing world, but, uh, but that, you know, that are used, you know, all the time to talk about how the brain works. And so he lists information, data, rules, software, knowledge, lexicons, representations, algorithms, programs, models, memories, images, processors, subroutines, encoders, decoders, symbols, and buffers. And uh, so these are all metaphors, like even memories is an inter- interesting one. 
because I mean that really is something that is from the computing world, like the, the fact, the idea that your computers have you know, things that they keep sort of in memory to retrieve later. Mm-hmm. And um, but he's saying that we we basically don't have anything like that in the brain. And so he, you know, he's saying things like, well, first of all, like where is the data stored in the brain? Because the brain doesn't have anything that would be like a what you would call like a magnetic disk or some more, right. you know, some kind of hard drive of any, and, and like it's uh it doesn't have, you know, it doesn't have any sort of uh, encoding system like a computer does where you would have like a, you know, eight bits for, you know, a byte or something like that. And um, where, you know, computers re- re- operate on symbolic rep- representations of the world, you know, that they, they store something, they retrieve it, you know, it's exactly the way it was when they stored it basically. And, you know, their, their memories really are physical. There is like a physical part of them that is like, hey, this right here is the memory. Um, but then, and, and the algorithm is what always, you know, guides what they do. But then with the human brain, you know, that's not really the case. I mean, the brain doesn't have data storage. It doesn't have algorithms. It doesn't, uh, I mean, but, but we sort of have, have decided that it does because, uh, you know. Describe all the language we ascribe because the computers are so pervasive in our lives that we think that like well here's something that's that's doing a lot of knowledge work uh you know this must work the same way that our brains do and uh he gives an example of you know, trying to to prove this you know in real life he's like well uh try to draw a one dollar bill from from just from memory like without looking at one or 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 any or you know looking it up on the internet or anything it's actually really hard oh, yeah. uh, because you're like, well, I sort of know what it looks like, but then when you start to draw it, like, it wouldn't even, it, it, it almost certainly would not even be even close. Literally, again, a rectangle with a one in it. Like, I cannot, yeah. I cannot then, pull that image. <laughs> but then once you see a $1 bill, of course, you can then draw it and it's like very accurate. And, um, you know, and then, of course, your neurons are always changing because your cells are, you know, they're not static, you know, pieces of hardware like a computer SSD is. So even if they were to store something, you know, they would be incredibly volatile. But it's like, uh, so there's no storage and there's no there's no algorithmic processing going on. And, you know, it's sort of like with, uh, you know, the, the brain, like, you know, it's sort of like it's, uh, and then the idea that you could upload your brain and then like you have it, you know, downloaded at some later date is also, you know, kind of preposterous because really, you know, the brain is part of the body. And once the body dies the brain's whole frame of reference is gone. And so, um, but it's, I mean, I guess to sum it up in, in a simple way is, that, you know, the brain is a, is an analog system through and through. It's like, you know, it's, uh, everything is done in relation to everything else. And, uh, right. And it, it's, but we, but we think of it as a digital system because it's very, it's very satisfying to think of it that way because that's, that's something that's familiar to us. And, he also talks about how in the past, you know, people have also thought about the brain with other metaphors. Like he says in the past, I think they, people thought of the brain as a clock. Basically, it had like sort of these, it worked like sort of like a clock did, you know, had 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 gears and, and different, you know, mechanisms that made it sort of uh, do what it did. And, um, but then, of course, that's, you know, that's very passe now because, you know, a clock is no longer seen as the pinnacle of innovation. Um, so. This is, so this is interesting. So, um and this this dovetails into what you're saying, right? Like old metaphors and how how they kind of fall out of use, right? So I'm I'm reading this article. Um, it's called uh, the Empty Brain, right? 
the, yeah. the Epstein piece. Yeah. Um, and he says that the um, it, it, essentially he's talking about how the uh, like the metaphor of using like computers as how the brain uh, operates, right? Using the language of of computers and computing. Um, he says the information processing metaphor of human intelligence now dominates human thinking, both on the street and in the sciences. There's virtually no form of discourse about intelligent human behavior that proceeds without employing this metaphor, just as no form of discourse without about intelligent human behavior could proceed in certain eras and cultures without reference to a spirit or a deity. Right. So like we have evolved from talking about deities, deities, whatever. And, uh, in relation to human, you know, human thinking and, or, you know, society and things like that to this computational metaphor. And, yeah. and, and now, I mean, like, I, I didn't even realize that, I mean, that, that he's referencing books that were written in like 2013 and, um, I mean, that's, that's really recent, right? Um, right. Yeah. I don't know. The IP metaphor is sticky. That's what he said. Yeah. I, I it's it's it, easy. I mean, like it's easy to think about things like this. It's easy to think because I don't know how my brain works. I don't know. Yeah, whatever. Somebody gives me this metaphor of how it's like a computer and how it that means that I get a certain amount of cycles and and like it's like it's a convenient way of thinking. Yeah. I think, I mean, later on he says that, like, for example, all the, if you even were to take all the the knowledge, if you were somehow to take it from the brain, extract it, the the, the pattern wouldn't mean anything outside of the body that it, that it had come from. Uh, of course, because, of course, the brain is, is, you know, it's inextricable from the body that, I mean, it gets all of its, you know, power from the other organs. And it's all, uh, so in that case, it really is very analog because everything the brain does is in relation to your body. So it's like it regulate, it does operations depending on what else is happening in your body. So it's like, well, are your cells the right temperature? And it's going to be different for every person or, you know, are, is your, do you have pain here and so on? So it's, it's, it's all, I mean, the word analog literally means you know, in relation to something else. So, you know, in this case, you know, you really do have, um, you know, an analog system in play. And, you know, what he says is, you know, whereas computers do store exact copies of data, copies that can persist unchanged for long periods of time, even if the power has been turned off, the brain maintains our intellect only so long as it remains alive. So, I mean, this is, uh, I mean, if you really wanted to take the computing metaphor to the extreme here, um, you could say the brain is the ultimate volatile memory system because, uh, like, um, volatile memory is memory that requires power. And uh, so, like, a good example of that is, like, the old Game Boy and Super Nintendo cartridges, which where the games were saved on uh, battery back saves. Uh, so the battery is providing the voltage that keeps the save game state, you know, as it is. And if you were to remove that battery, the save game is gone. And uh, so the opposite of that is a non-volatile you know, memory, which is which you use in a lot of other things, like, you know, uh, an SSD, you know, you, you put in a computer, has all its data on it, you turn the computer off, no power for, you know, months on end, you plug it back in, it's there again. It's you know, it, it's, yeah. it's the same thing. 
Um, so like, but when, of course, I've always been amazed at how long those batteries can last. Cause like I, I booted up a copy of like Donkey Kong Country 2, like, uh, last year and I'd gotten this in like 1995 and, and the save games on it were still, uh, playable. <laughs> like I, I couldn't believe that it was my, it doesn't require that much power, and uh, but I still, I say the same for my poor Game Boy Advance game. <laughs> or no, not my Game Boy Advance. It was my Pokemon Gold. Oh yeah, the Pokemon games were kind of infamous for that. that um, yeah, but I don't, I'm not sure why. But um, but anyway, it's. Uh, I mean, he gives another example. I mean, just the, I guess the final thing from this article, like you know, for example, trying to play baseball, like trying to catch a ball, and that if the uh, if the if the computing metaphor were accurate, basically the way it would work would be that you would be calculating a bunch of you'd be doing a bunch of math in real time to try and figure out how how to catch the ball, and obviously that's not how it works. I mean, basically you're just looking at the ball and you're moving your body in relation to it, and so that's a totally analog process. But then you know if you were a computer, you'd be like, well, the the, the azimuth of this is blah blah blah, and the you know, the yeah, the velocity is this and so on. And that's just not how it works, at least not on the conscious level. So, um, and, but anyway, so that's... Uh, no, I like what he says here. So he says, um, no one really has the slightest idea how the brain changes after we have learned to sing a song or recite a poem. This is after he talks about the, the dollar bill thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, but neither the song nor the poem has been, quote, stored in it. The brain has yeah. simply changed in an orderly way that now allows us to sing the song or recite the poem under certain conditions, which it, that's fascinating to me. Like, of course, it's not stored in the brain. Like, yeah, it, but it's somehow it's like you can. It's like you're trying to recreate the original moment every time you do it somehow, or your brain is doing that. And and uh, which is, I mean, that's. I don't know. I can't remember. I don't think it's from this article. There is some other article about how you know, really. Remembering something is not like trying to take data from it, like trying to retrieve data from a disk. It's more like trying to recreate the original scenario as closely as possible. Mm-hmm. And like, uh, I think this was, this was, I'm, I'm blanking on, on, I might be able to find it in my, in my pin board later, but it has something like, uh, it was trying to rebut the idea that we only use a small part of our brain. So like, that's an old, like, myth. like basically like it was saying that if you were trying to, you know, recall some emotional memory that you were basically using, you know, a huge part of the brain that you could, you know, actually control. Um, and the the brain would be very, you know, you know, uh, what is that other computing matter where it would be using all of its, you know, using all of its RAM up or something. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, the CPU is at 100. This is a hundred percent. Yeah. You know, 85 Chrome tabs open. (laughs) Uh, yeah. So, (laughs) I, but, um, do, does that mean that I'm not going to have super magic powers when I finally learn how to use 100% of my brain? Yeah. That, <laughs> that was, I don't know where that myth came from, that how you only use 10% of your brain. I mean, obviously there are parts of your brain that you can't, you know, that you wouldn't want to, you wouldn't want to use, like you wouldn't want to do the part where your brain is, you know, you know, dealing with cell temperature or something. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, okay. so like, you, you want that to be automated. <laughs> yeah. You want that to be automated. So... <laughs> Well, there I go again, yeah. right? Using that, yeah. using that language, yeah. yeah, shortcut, you know, or something. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but um, anyway, it's. But I think that's uh, so. I mean, I guess for AI, that means that, um, you know, we're trying to recreate a brain, but you know, we don't really know what the brain is. So I mean, right. So uh, what the heck? I mean, 
<laughs> what are we creating? <laughs> but uh, anyway, I'm sure people have, you know, of course, strong opinions on that, that they will, you know, actually, this research shows that, you know, I always can't stand it when someone says something is like a neural net uh, or because or it's a neural chip or something. I'm like, that is just a totally is a term from, you know, when they came up with the, the, the words AI in, in the in the 50s, they really did think that they were making something that worked like a neuron, even though they knew nothing at all about how neurons worked. So, you know, so that's <laughs> that's that's what they're dealing with. So, so I think I, I I feel you wrapping up and I think I want to maybe end us on why I feel so strongly about AI. And this is somewhat tongue in cheek. <laughs> this is somewhat of a joke, but also no, it's not a joke. So that's just my caveat here. Okay. I am interested in AI so much as like from the perspective of at what point like do these do do AI tools start cannibalizing each other, right? Like how is that already happening? Are we creating um, AI-generated content that then becomes training data for the AI, you know, the generative AI tools? Like, and and how does this water down information as we go? Right, that's the serious part of this. The very unserious part of why AI interests me. <laughs> Again, <laughs> kind of a joke, but we used to work for a content company, right, where we wrote four thousand words a day. And that's essentially a 12-page paper per day. And so I feel partially responsible for a lot of the garbage that's on the internet. (laughs) And and you more so because you worked there for longer than I did. So I'm just going to put that on you a little bit. But are these tools being trained on the garbage that I personally put on the internet? Because if so, sounds bad. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh yeah but i mean that i i feel partially responsible for maybe like the degradation of information yeah right I, yeah i've thought about this too right for us that like i don't i don't want yeah or or Ouroboros is the perfect uh metaphor for it because i mean well for the first thing you said you know about how uh you know training it on itself i think that is like that is legitimately an issue because uh, it's you know it's sort of right now one of the reasons some of these things seem so fluent is because they have been trained on literally the best of the best. So like you know, I think Margaret Atwood and Stephen King have both said that you know they they've seen or they know that their texts were ingested by you know, some of these things, and so then you, these these uh, machines are trying to imitate the you know patterns of those writers. But then at some point, you know, then what if the web is just full of garbage? You know, like uh, what if? Yeah. You know, Quote, what if? I mean, I mean, what if is sort of a, a little optimistic, yeah, because um, <laughs> uh, it definitely has already happened already. Uh, so, so then you're getting you more garbage in and more garbage out, yeah. And, uh, and but then it probably did start even before that because I mean, as, uh, even in the pre AI, uh, the pre, well, the era before Chat GPT sort of you know initiated this new fascination. You know, the web is full of all kinds of junk, and that you know content mills like ours came up with and you know, like the uh you know the sort of the hollow um cloud computing articles or the uh and i didn't work on any of these directly but you know any sort of recipe article is of course i think just yeah. absolute garbage these days and uh so i mean that's already so there's a lot of a lot of garbage already out there and and i did think about how you know i, I am somewhat skeptical that that 
AI is going to kill a lot of jobs. Um, because it just, you know, whenever this happens, like someone's like, well, technology, you know, and a lot of times I'm not even sure what they mean by technology. Like technology is going to kill all these jobs, going to automate everything. And then it kind of doesn't happen. And then, but then I do think like content mill writer is, is, is something that I think is that one. uniquely vulnerable that to this type of thing. Because, <laughs> because I mean, you're taking people who had minimal training and, you know, uh, basically had to start writing stuff on day one. And then now you could probably, you know, sort of get some kind of approximation. Although, I mean, the companies that have tried that, like I think uh, I want to say CNET tried that and yeah. some other, they, they've all tried it and it's actually been pretty bad. Uh, even quite a bit worse than what a human would come up with because first of all, there's, there's inevitably a lot of mistakes um, because, you know, these machines don't have any sense of, they don't have any social knowledge, they don't have any sense of context. And, you know, they're, they're really, they're literally just, you know, executing instructions they've been given. So, um, but, you know, to say that I, I would, if I were, you know, like a content mail writer, I, I would be kind of worried about this because, um, because, I mean, it was never that great of a quality to begin with. So it's not like, you know, you're, you're trying to, disrupt something that was of impeccable quality um but you know i tell you i guess I, with... I felt like a bot some days because they they used to tell us that there was a no uh what is the right word for this like a no nonsense policy with plagiarism oh, yeah. but like the definition of play, plagiarism at a content mill is pretty loose oh yeah you basically just open up an article and yeah, reword the article, reword. man. Like, I to... so I mean, so I mean, we're talking about a lower bar here than CNET. So I think the yeah. the the uh, the chances of of there being some kind of successful replacement here is probably higher than it is in a lot of other domains. And and I mean, it might actually be the the the, the ideal domain for for you know, the. I mean, but then that sort of gets back to my other point about how if the killer use case for this is. You know, replacing low quality content mill writing. I, I don't think that's really that, that much of a breakthrough. Fine. <laughs> yeah, fine. I'm at it. You yeah. know, <laughs> fine. Well, I, I did have almost a medium stroke the other day, though, because um, part of my job uh, currently is um, writing service notices and like emails uh, to uh, organizations across across my campus about certain IT work that's going to be done. And somebody mentioned in a meeting kind of tongue-in-cheek and he said oh we could just get chat chat gpt to do the comms on this and i i almost had a stroke i was just like hey that's hey man that's my job but but i don't but i actually don't think that it's going to replace i mean it it might replace like tiny replaces such a harsh word it might um do parts of some of the things that we do right yeah, but that, I mean, that's how careers yeah. change, and that's how jobs change, and that it it's fine. It's yeah, fine. I, I do think. I mean, if I had to take a side on the idea that it was either an agent or a tool, I, I would sign. On, I would err on the side of saying it was a tool. Um, yeah, I don't think it's. I don't think it's smart to be an agent. I, I think it's. Uh, I think that's what its its proponents want it to be. They want it to be an agent, but it seems to me like just another tool. Like it's. Um, you know, it's like Excel or uh, Photoshop or, you know, GarageBand. I mean, these things are, I mean, they all make things easier in some way. Yeah. Although, I mean, as someone who writes a lot, I, I don't know what a chat GBT would make easier for me exactly. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I guess, you know, I mean, 
for people who aren't, you know, as comfortable with writing, I mean, I think that's it maybe for them, you know, it is, it is kind of a, a breakthrough, but, um, you know, I think it, it's, it's another tool to sort of put on the pile. And, and, and if I had to guess, I think that's where it would probably end up. It's just like, well, here's the other thing I can use. Um, but the idea that is somehow, um, you know, it's, it's somehow thinking or is, or it's going to, you know, create Skynet. I think that's, uh, I think that's really naive. Basically, what <laughs> so. we have said and what we're saying is that the that when you try to apply value statements to things like this, like it's not it's not useful, right? Like, yeah, AI is not a sinister thing, and it's also not like going to save the world. It, yeah, it's just a thing. You're you're right. It's it's just a tool that we can use, or maybe not, right? Or we used it six times, <laughs> our average, and then we gave up, and then we gave up, and it's fine now. But you know, like folks at work are talking about using it to to write um, entries in the service catalog, like some boring nonsense, right? Oh yeah, we, it's probably that's probably fine. That's probably fine. Yeah, um, you're right. I I don't know. It. Yeah, I mean, I, I'd be worried to re- have it write anything that required like great technical accuracy but they can see something that there could be something with low stakes where it was like well it's okay i mean we don't even really think about this anyway but um well and that's that goes back to our our content mill uh very low stakes super low stakes (laughs) super low stakes yeah somebody paid me to talk about how to succeed in business one and i'm like good i'm really good at business that's actually the the business knower has long gone yeah (laughs) precisely yeah, yeah, the business industry, see, you know, at the boss or whatever. Yeah, so good at the business industry. <laughs> the business industry. Yeah, I actually, I thought, I thought of that exact uh, language that that we used to to make fun of the business industry and so on. Because my work computer recently updated Microsoft Edge to Microsoft Edge for business. No. Like, and it has like a little like a uh, accordion folder icon on it or something. Right, it's just like. It's, it's, I don't know. It's, edge it's really a edge for business. Yeah. Just <laughs> even the name just sounds it's incredible. I mean, like, uh, <laughs> we could do a whole another hour about this, but, but that dovetails into the thing. My, my hobby horse, mine is that most of this stuff and most of why we're talking about this is the fault of marketing. Oh yeah. It is. <laughs> it is marketing. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's just like this, uh, yeah, people who relentlessly been now you know everything is AI now. Yeah, you know, and it's like uh, even like I got like a, a robot vacuum, and it's like that has AI in it. And like, and no, to be no, honest, no, like no. I, I mean, <laughs> to be honest, like that might actually be a more literal, true case of AI than like ChatGPT because yeah. I mean, you do have a machine that is like scanning its environment, and you know, I. In real time, figuring out based on what's how, in the environment. Yeah, so it's like uh, it's not just like sitting there with some database and being like, "Well, you gave me X, here's Y," you know. <laughs> so, um, but you know, yeah. Well, I I don't I don't know how to end this other than that. Well, <laughs> we think I mean, we think a lot of things about AI, but in general, yeah. I mean, I don't think there's any like uh, it's. Fine. I don't think there's any like you know, um, conclu- I mean. Huge takeaway. You know, huge takeaway. I mean, because it's, you know, it's complex and there's different perspectives on it. And, you know, lots of them have validity. So, yeah. Yeah. It's, um, 
I mostly just wish people would quit treating it like it's uh, going to just like completely change the face of the planet. Yeah. In in whatever way. It's like they're fantasizing about, you know, it's the torment nexus thing all over again. It's like, you know, what if uh, this could be Skynet and maybe that would be cool, actually. I'm like, no, (laughs) No. like Skynet was not cool at all. And also it would, it would never have, like, it's literally just some math doing it's some math doing some math. I mean, yeah, it's, I mean, you know, I, I think math is going to end the world. I mean, there's so many other sure. <laughs> things that could probably, you know, do it for us. But yeah, I don't know. It's, uh, it's, it, I, I don't know, it, the hype is exhausting. I mean, it, that that would be probably my, if I had to, had to take, maybe a takeaway is that the, the hype afforded this is, uh, I feel like it's, um, what, what would I say, like diminishing returns yeah. uh, from, from Silicon Valley, because like Silicon Valley came up with personal computers, you know, smartphones, the internet, and so on. And now, you know, they've sort of been grasping at straw. Like they, they have like, you know, NFTs, the metaverse, uh, you know, a, a VR. Yeah, these things all, I mean, they, they've all been hyped to be like, you know, like this is an internet level innovation. And uh, I, I still think that that's true. I mean, Again, I don't mean. It's just all that marketing. They just want us to think that. They want us to think that, and you know, if it's, um, and uh, you know, I mean, the, because they they have really been relying on this being sort of their next big, um, almost their next big grift. <laughs> but then, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, because when I worked at the content mill, I remember I, I, there was some company that did like medical. They were like a an electronic health record thing, and they said that they you know, that they had help, they had AI, but their competitor who did a very similar thing did not. Oh my gosh! And yeah. Uh, yeah, and it was kind of funny because then they explained it, and then of course it was kind of it was kind of hard to figure out exactly you know what the AI was, and they actually did have a they they made a big deal about how they had a human in the loop. Um, so like you know, if, <laughs> if the AI you know, fucked up something really bad, you know, a human could could like intervene at the last minute and make sure that that didn't you have an impact and there's a you know and in the loop there's a human in the loop yeah so that was that was a big selling point ironically so oh, um yeah and uh but it was it's quite exhausting trying, trying to have to write about that and i, I can't even imagine it. i mean if they're still if they're somehow still a client you know that would be uh or somehow still all the but well i mean even if they were i mean having to weave in all the meta narratives about ai at large oh just God. be too much yeah <laughs> I, that no thanks yeah, no thanks. Yeah. <laughs> well, on that note, uh, I think I think we can call this one done. Yeah, I think we can. We've yeah. got uh, a lot of material here. So. Yeah. Thank you all for listening. Uh, we hope yeah. you enjoyed our hobby horse podcast. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think I got that. I originally were found out about that word. I think from uh, I want to say the Tristram Shandy novel, which I think had that. Uh, had that in there. I love it. I love it as yeah. a as a metaphor. <laughs> oh yeah, it's a good one. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. So the uh, yeah the podcast is at literally dot party. So you can just type that into your browser and uh, literally dot party. Yeah, it's all the episodes are there, and there's also links to all the major uh, podcast players where you can subscribe in there, uh, except for Google Podcasts, which I don't think many people use anyway. Um, but then um, you just put yeah. out a new blog this week, right? Yeah, I did. So my blog is the yeah. I was riffing on what I talked about earlier about you know the quote-unquote economy uh so that's at you know content lab the content hyphen lab dot agency and uh so i'll put that in the in the notes as well so 
And I still have a book for sale. The... You still have a book for sale, and uh, you have your website as well, lizmakestuff.com. So uh, the the cool news on that front this week is that you can now buy my book at barnesandnoble.com. Oh, nice. Yes. Yeah, Barnes um, and Noble. Yeah. So in case you don't want to give Mr. Jeffy B your <laughs> money, uh, there are other places to do that now. So diversify yeah diversify your content that's my number one <laughs> phrase yeah one woman content diversification yeah yes <laughs> yeah. all right well thanks right. for listening all right thanks for listening see ya see ya